for us, ag tech is a new thing, but it's a, it's, it's kind of semantics that it's a different phase to your point. And this is just a new phase of which arguably has been happening for a hundred years plus, but, but even on the ag tech software side, I'd say starting in the late nineties, it just took a while to get into the limelight. Welcome to Croptastic, the Interplant Podcast, where your hosts, Shelly Aronov, Marta Balayek, and Sean Yokomizo explore the global future of agriculture and food. In this episode, we discuss the state of ag tech and the challenges of being an ag tech founder with Adam Lytle, CEO of Sound Agriculture, an ag tech company working to increase the pace of consumer and environmental change by unleashing the natural power of plants. Welcome to Croptastic, the podcast by Interplant. Today, we have Adam Lytle, the CEO of Sound Ag. And Adam, I've known you, I think, at this point for three years, and we met at a, at a children's birthday party, right? Yeah, that's right. We were in Dolores Park in, in San Francisco on a beautiful, sunny day. That's actually what I was thinking about before we got started today. So that was uh, when we met, one of our friends introduced us because we had a lot in common. And uh, your background is fascinating as you're part of Granular, which was one of the big successes in the space. Then you're working at Cortiva. And then now uh, you're heading Sound, which is another exciting startup in the space. So maybe you can start by just introducing yourself and giving us your background. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on, Shelly. And uh, always, always great to catch up. So I actually cut my teeth in agriculture a little bit before that. Uh, I was working in um, the enzyme biological space with advanced biofuels at a company called Cadexis. And so I've I've gotten the opportunity to see a few aspects of the space from the physical to the the digital to the more systems-based approaches and kind of fell in love with different different aspects of it and how comprehensive and far-reaching both food and agriculture is. So originally from Michigan, uh, born and raised, uh, spent some time in the East Coast, out of college, worked in, in DC, actually learned about politics and how, how laws are made or sometimes not made. And um, while I enjoyed that, I really liked earlier stage entrepreneurial efforts and I couldn't make up my mind. So I, I actually went back to grad school and did a JD MBA and was was enjoying both pieces of it. Um, and luckily had a bunch of summers to try things out. At the end of it, I figured out I probably was going to be a horrible lawyer. I couldn't pay attention long enough. And I liked fairly extroverted, like interacting with people a lot, as opposed to writing all the time. <laughs> and so I ended up going into uh, investment banking in healthcare and biotech. I, I, I like that technical aspect and the aspect of, of therapeutics and helping people combined with some of the moving fast and making things happen. I basically used that as a stepping stone, did that a couple of years out in the West Coast, and then went to the ag route and um, worked for Cadexis. And so it's kind of been a evolution of, well, I'm interested in this thing, but oh, look, there's a the finance guys are kind of closer to to where things happen. And then from there, it's like, oh, wait, the, the companies are where things happen. And <laughs> in terms of pace and innovation, the startups are where it happens. So um, opportunistically went down that route. And, and then uh, I've consistently come in agriculture from a combination of uh, doing right by the grower, helping folks who, who do a really important job where it's really tough day to day to make a living, make more money, be more secure, as well as then the, the save the planet aspect, which is cliche, but but real in the sense of soil health, carbon, um, climate change, that that is what gets me out of bed every day and, and ultimately why I just found my dream job with sound agriculture. 
So that was why you chose ag. Also, being from the Midwest, you had to be close to it growing up, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not a farm kid. I kind of wish I was because you you have a lot more cred in the space if you do. But uh, my grandmother grew up on a farm in Ontario, Canada. So there's some roots there. But just just to be honest, it's it's not it's not part of my upbringing. Um, where it came from was I really love the combination of the innovative mindset you see out in the Bay Area with Midwest values and with a little bit of a slower pace, a real pace, I'd say, in terms of making some physical changes at scale um, that affect the, the common person. So agriculture was at the intersection of those two things for me. And um, the more I did it, the more I thought, oh, this is great. I get to go back and interact with growers, get my boots on the ground in the Midwest, um, as well as then spend some time pushing the envelope technically out in the area. Yeah, I can't say I see you as a lawyer. So I think you made the right decision there. I am technically a lawyer, Shelly, but you don't really do not want me. Yeah, I, I took the bar exam in California and then promptly said I wasn't going to do it. But no, I'll, I'll be committing malpractice if I try to do that nowadays. We'll skip that then. So we haven't really touched too much about Grandler and Dow. Do you want to maybe tell us the story? I think it's one of the fascinating stories in Ag and how, from your perspective, going from a startup and going to a big company and startup again, what are the insights you learned through that? Yeah, it was a great journey. I was very lucky to be part of that team. Early on, I was introduced to uh, the founding team at a company called Solom, actually. Which... Nick Koshnik was here, too, by the oh, way. Oh, Nick, Nick was on. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Nick's a Nick's a friend from way back. And so Nick hired me along with a, a person named Sid Gorham. Sid was a co-founder of Open Table on the restaurant food side in SaaS and then um, moved into agriculture shortly before me. And so after joining, we found that while the, the science was very impressive at getting a more accurate soil tests and analyzing them for better practices, it was very difficult to make a business out of that. So we made the hard choice to, to pivot and go more towards farm management software. And that was the genesis of Granular. So we spun that out and sold sold the assets of, of Solum to Climate Corp at the time. This was back in 2013 and literally a few months after I joined. So it's always fun when you I joined as director of business development, when you join a company and it's like, come help us grow. And then two months later, it's like, not so much. Let's spin this off and then reset. Um, but that's all part of the journey. And so we we went through that in about six months. And then we took some of that cap, we took that capital, re-raised from the same investors who we were lucky enough to, to still have their support, which is very much a testament to Sid and his his ability. And then we found a granular. There were about five of us who stayed uh, and then went in that new direction starting in January 2014. And from there, it was a journey of, of essentially recognizing. Uh, like every other space, professional software and analytics to help you save time and make make better, more profitable decisions was a ripe area for disruption in the space. And we sold a lot of the leading growers. The thesis was, if you can get some of the, the bellwether growers on board that others look to, then you can create a market, uh, even if farmers are not used to paying anything with software. Ultimately, fast forward, I, I had a bunch of different, I think I had five or six different roles on the product and commercial side of the company, we we did see a lot of success in farm management software, but it was candidly very tough to cross the chasm and get um, your average grower who was smaller and um, didn't have as many tools to manage the farm in that way to pay money for software when when everything there else is doing is is so expensive and, and the bottom line is tough. So um, the combination when we were acquired by Corteva was really powerful because we could combine with a lot of agronomy software and other things that just 
offered more comprehensive value and then also had some nice synergies with what the company was doing otherwise. You know, it's fascinating to me with the big companies and the startups and uh, you're, you're way more um, fluent in all of that than I am. And um, yeah, it's always fascinating to hear, but we can jump forward to maybe <laughs> actually, no, I'm happy to, to talk more about it. I think it's really fascinating to understand especially for someone who's seen it from the inside and from the outside. What's so different in those worlds, right? Because now you're back in the startup leading this company and you are you now know how the big companies think you've been there. So what are yeah. like the insights of the yeah, different I saw, worlds? I saw it a little bit when I was working at Lehman and then Barclays Capital back, this is about 12 years ago, but that was a giant global investment bank. I was so junior back then, it was tough to get the same level of insight. But then going into Corteva um, was part of, there, there's there's a lot of people on the team, but part of the global leadership team. And I was the head of revenue for um, the commercial side of the digital business uh, within the company. And the, the main takeaway was the scale you're provided there and the access points is massive. And it is very difficult for startups to achieve that because typically you're doing one thing, maybe a couple things very well, but you're skimping. You have to skimp on so many things in order to really push product market fit on that one narrow thing. And then you hope to catch a trend because it's always a combination of luck and skill that's going to create market pull and help you scale automatically. But in ag, that that so rarely happens because you don't have the same dynamics that you have in other spaces, especially in software and tech, where all the wheels are greased, so to speak, on, on scale. That's why you haven't seen like a standalone software company in ag who's made it yet. And I, I still think there's a fair chance that'll happen. But the scale that we were provided was really great, actually, in terms of the impact we could make, the amount of growers and acres you could touch and ultimately affecting how, how food is grown. The tough parts are, are some of the things that I think a lot of people hear. It, it's true. There's more bureaucracy. It's true. There's more people you got to get buy-in from. There's a little more of a mindset of defending your turf and your market share because there's already so much share. So you do get in a little bit of the innovator's dilemma concept where you've got to fight through. But the pros are often worth it. It's, it's more a question when people ask me, or any advice on where to go, think about what do you enjoy doing day to day? And that will lead you in the right direction. Um, for some people, they want that scale impact out of the gate. They want the resources and support that comes with the large company. They want a more balanced approach and they want to not necessarily move fast and break things. And not right. that that's a good approach for anyone in agriculture, frankly, um, but you're definitely doing more of that. Um, and you have to do more of that than a company. And that's very uncomfortable for some people. No, I think that's really good advice. And at the end of the day, I like the way you frame it, which is we do, we get pretty obsessed with a very, very specific goal in startups, right? We don't really focus on the rest of it because we want to succeed. We want to make sure that we're getting one thing right. And some people love it. And some people prefer more of a balanced approach, for sure. Yep. So let's uh, kind of change modes a little bit and talk about the future of ag. And this is the question that um, I always ask all of our guests. First of all, what do you think are the biggest challenges that farmers face today? Soybean, corn, the big crops. Yeah, so thinking about row crops, I think land access and the economics around it it continues to be a, a very big thing for grower. And we're seeing prices continue to skyrocket for those who don't own all their land. And last I checked, the average US production ag grower rents 60% of their land. And as a PL item, that's huge. 
labor access and labor costs and consistency and quality there is a, is a big deal. And it's bigger in specialty, but even in row crops, increasingly, that's, that's an issue. And both those are relatively untapped areas of innovation because it's, it's tough and it's more systems related and people related as opposed to tech and software. I think the drone and imagery and remote sensing space continues to be to have legs, but we've kind of hit a, a, a little bit of um, a consolidation and period where to get to the next leg of value, you've got to move beyond identifying where there are problems and actually show what you can do about it. And um, I think I think there's a company I've heard of that that's working on that here. So, um, you know, to get to that next leap of value, it's massively valuable. But I think there's a little bit of this in between of folks where you've got a commoditized version of it and you've really got to, got to leap. I think the stranglehold in, in way on a market that growers face with their cost structure beyond land and people is workable because that's what our system has created, our capitalist system um, with a few market leaders there. And, and they're very sensitive. And the buying side or the selling side or both really? The selling inputs to growers. Yeah. More I'm talking about. So so your your bears and Gordevins and Gentas and they actually are very sensitive from my perspective on doing right by the grower, but at the same time, they've got these intense shareholder pressures and expectations of 25% margins, right? So they're, they're on both sides. And then growers get a few years of profitability when grain prices spike and then input prices usually catch up. And we're seeing that with crazy high nitrogen and fertilizer prices right now, in addition to other things. And so solutions and alternatives there, um, a more competitive market for growers is in is critical. And also you're working on that. That's something that sound is working on as having mm-hmm. alternatives to um, fertilizer, both that are cheaper, higher ROI, and um, and just much better for, for the environment, both soil quality and carbon. So th- those would probably be the biggest ones I'd hit. That's probably three or four categories that I care about and track. Yeah, I couldn't agree more and more competition, better tools, better products. And things, and things to say what, what the issues are instead of just that there is an issue, I'd say in imagery. That's how I'd, I'd give that a shorthand to that. And it's all the evolution, right? You've been, we talked about this often, but you've seen all the cycles and it always starts with the trend, the software, and then the consolidation because it fell a little bit short and then the hardware and then the consolidation. And again, and now maybe it's biotech, right? There's waves. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's funny too, that I'm, you refer to me as that. I mean, I'm 40 years old. So I feel like I'm kind of in the middle. I'm in the <laughs> I know, middle but you've and, been in it for 10 years. Well, so you've seen like right, the but, I, boom. but early on, I mean, even I'm, I talked to folks who have been some of my partners at Ag Studio who um, back in the Grand Corteva days where we combined forces there, like talked to folks who started in 2000 and, and, and late nineties. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's interesting to hear the cycles uh, for us. Ag tech is, a new thing, but it's a, it's, it's kind of semantics that it's a different phase to your point. And this is just a new phase of which arguably has been happening for a hundred years plus, but, but even on the ag tech software side, I'd say starting in the late nineties, it just took a while to get into the limelight. It was probably, yeah, I think I'm probably referring to the investment boom. Yeah. Cause I agree. It was all there before the VCs noticed it. That's right. And the investment boom really came from clean tech 1.0 the bottom falling out. Uh, and I saw this at Cadexis because we were working on advanced biofuels and bio-based chemicals. And it was a, it was a cool business, but related, it, it was really only viable at that point in time to when oil was $150 a barrel and plus, and that had a lot of knock-on effects. When you had oil drop to 40 bucks, um, I think it was maybe back in 2012-ish, 
you just saw almost everything no longer be economical, solar, wind, et cetera. And, and, and a lot of those things are caught up, but that whole bust then said, had DC saying, well, there's still a lot of opportunity here, but where do we go with it? That's what accelerated a lot of it into ag. And then you had climate with their exit. Then you had Grand Horn Blue River. Recently, you had a few more. So, I mean, kind of, kind of thank you in a way, in, in my opinion, to a lot of the efforts, both government and private, for a lot of that clean tech money um, be more open-minded and flowing into some fundamental spaces. Yeah, absolutely. And it does feel like COVID has definitely accelerated the last push. The, the last couple of years, it feels like everyone understands the vulnerability of our biological growing food system. Right. Right. Biology, the biology piece and the supply chain piece. Um, right. All of which, which, I mean, fa- just what a, what a, what a great time of how many parts of the change you can innovate in, innovate on. Um, so let's, let's try um, the future of farming in a different point of view. So 20 years down the, down the road, let's say it's 2050 or is that, no, it's going to be 2040. Let's say it's 2050. How do you describe the future farm? What do you think it's going to look like? 2050. I mean, our, we're all part of the singularity then, and uh, our consciousness just shifted. <laughs> we don't need food anymore. We're just going to have pills, and it's going to have all everything <laughs> in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> just bold have vision. Ever, have you ever seen <laughs> a, a fun one too? Is I think John Deere had had done a lot of the videos of the farmer wakes up in the morning and how they're running their farm. The the view of the farm in the future. I always like those because the, the visuals are pretty fun. I, I do think. You know, some of the standard stuff, I believe, and then trying to think of what's more unique that I haven't heard. I do think the robotics and automation piece is just a a question of when, because it just makes things so much easier and reliable. And the minute the cost is within striking distance, you're just going to see a continued rush to say, let's let's automate this as much as possible. That's no different than any other space. And And it makes a ton of sense, right? Since there's less and less people that are in this in agriculture, it makes sense that they'll be managing the operations versus just doing the work themselves. Totally. And it's a very hard job. And, and yeah. you can automate that if you've done it in the seed. It's like, shoot, what a what a godsend GPS has been for enabling what you what you have to do, even though it's subtle. I think the continued reduction on, on chemicals is real uh and, and not a not a fad by any means, meaning that biological solutions will by and large take over large chemistry, I think they'll still be, this is a little contrarian maybe, I think there's still going to very much be a role for targeted chemistry and small chemistry because it's a misnomer to make them competition of each other. Uh, At Sound, we're an example of this because we actually have a solution to nutrient efficiency that has similar outcomes and we think better outcomes than microbials uh, that you add to replace nitrogen fertilizer and boost yield, but it's a chemistry. It's a green chemistry where you put less than an ounce per acre out, which is one ten thousandth of what you would put out in terms of your, your bulk fertilizer. So you're going to have some targeted environmentally friendly chemistry combined with a lot of more advanced genetics to replace pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, uh, and, and, and fertilizers. So that'll be fascinating. And I think good for people, farmers on the planet. I think we we're going to see the food as medicine and health trend eking over into agriculture or right now it's kind of living on the food food tech side but as you see more consumers caring about health and not just calories um, even if the government doesn't do something about that because we're unfortunately still subsidizing empty calories too much the consumers will demand it and the healthcare system will demand it because if you imagine the the savings from eating healthier things that taste right. better and more convenient. It's just 
it's too obvious of a solution for society. And so systems wise, that's really tough to tackle. But as things come together, I think I think you'll you'll see that. And then I I do think we'll get to carbon neutral. And, and ag is going to be a component of that, given it's 25% of global emissions on food and ag. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of bright things. I I just I th- I'm super optimistic about the future of the space, whether it's and I'm actually hoping all that stuff, Shelly, is by like 2030 or 2040, right? I I, I can't even fathom what 2050 would be. I mean, I hope you're right. Specifically, I'm curious about the chemistry. I think the chemistry is something we all try to make sure there's less of. And it's still hard to say when is going to be the tipping point where we don't just use the brown drain stuff that does everything. I like what you're talking about, something that's a small dose, but very effective. That seems like a very good solution because it's fine. It doesn't matter that it's a chemistry. It's more about the amounts that we use. The less we use it, the better it is. Right. And the enemy of some of this stuff, which which I, I mean, I'm fairly progressive overall, I'll, I'll, I'll own, but I don't like when it's simplified to the level of all oh, chemistry is bad and we as consumers yeah. hate, right? It's unfortunately because of the, the fear, just like most of the public has for science and data, it's like lost in the fads, whereas of course the solution is a little more nuanced. Yeah. Although I do think that there's a big role that's been played in everything where it's very lucrative to sell more of something, right? So we could be using less of the chemistry that we have today, but it's lucrative to sell more. And the solution yes. is basically what we're talking about, which is less. It's, it, it can be potent. You just use less of it. Yeah. And I just, I think the, I think the, the pricing model actually is an interesting piece of that because I think the industry is increasingly going to move to a per acre cost structure. You've already seen it in a lot of ways and it's not just on yeah. the tech side. So the more you do that, um, and you think about value-based pricing, which is what makes most sense for the, the consumers, the farmers, then who cares what your volume is? It's about the, the value you're providing as a service, essentially, which encompasses product. Yeah, it does incentivize everyone to use less and get more. Right. So before we wrap up, I want to ask you, because you really are, you've had a successful career in ag in all the different positions. And there's so many other founders that are starting their journey What's your advice specifically to AgTech founders and, and maybe in general to founders? I'm still learning. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate the kind words. I still very much feel like I'm learning and evolving. I have not figured it out by any means. I am a first. You're not author. writing a book yet, Adam? Not, not, no, 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 no time to write a book, nor would probably anyone want to read it. But um, I, yeah, I'm first time CEO. I, I've been in the seat that's sound for almost two years now, and it's been an amazing journey and so far so good. I do think uh, that for me, the emotional roller coaster of it, and we talked about this, is probably the hardest part. And that's not just an act, that's literally every founder. And so the emotional advice and the spiritual advice of, of give yourself a break and level set and know that the highs are never as high as you think and the lows are never as low and they're both temporary and, and take almost a more, um, I don't know, Buddhist approach to it, uh, as, as woo woo as that might sound like has really helped me and a lot of other founders I've talked to or CEOs, I'll, I'll generally say in growth startups. Another one is, um, variety of experience on the way to becoming a founder or CEO is, is important, extremely important. I, I I'm blessed to have so many different functional experiences and allows me to hire and see talent, I think, more effectively. And as a CEO, your main job is evangelizing, two, strategy, three, hiring and managing. Um, and, and if you do those things right, nothing else matters as much. And so, um, and culture is kind of woven into all those things. 
so try to get the broad-based experience um, if you can before you jump in. But I realize some people are just tuned to be founders and want to get into it. And that's awesome too. It's just the biggest thing is that emotional fortitude um, along the way. And if you can inculcate, inculcate that and have grit with it, then you're going to be super strong. I, I think that's very good advice. It's um, when I got started in my first company, my husband was already um, a founder a couple of times, technical founder. And that's the advice he gave me. He told me, you got to figure out how to ride the roller coaster better and just try to keep things leveled because otherwise you're going to go insane between the highs and the lows. And it does help, right? The better, the more you do it, the better you get at it. it yeah, you, de- it you develop more. a muscle. It's a muscle or a callus. <laughs> it's a muscle, yeah. You want, you want to say it. And, and if you can, the, the danger is compartmentalization. And then you wake up at 3.30 a.m. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you've never done that, right? Worrying about I, I wake up every day at 3.30 because I have kids that for some reason refuse to sleep for the night, but <laughs> not for right. that reason. <laughs> Right. So perfect. If you want to hit two birds with one stone, have a, have a kid and found a company at the same time. It's a blast. <laughs> um, no, but you're, you're right. I, um, another yeah. little secret on that is that it's actually about making sure that you don't get too caught up in the highs and yeah. that was, that's what makes the lows easier. Yeah, it, exactly. But it's tough because you want to celebrate the highs. Like you want to stop and take a minute and you want to be like, man, we've been crushing it. And like, I'm so proud of the team and all this. And you don't pat yourself it's on the true. back, then you can't keep going. So how do you, it's just that balance is so tough for me sometimes. And I talk about that with my team is like, yeah, we want to celebrate, but we want to be like sober about it at the same time. And that's no fun. <laughs> I agree with you. Every time we have an amazing week, I know what's coming <laughs> and it's just the way it is, but I agree with you. You want to celebrate it, but this is great. And thank you so much for uh, participating here today and sharing your experience. Yeah, uh, it's been a fun conversation. Anytime, I, I kind of feel like it's the same one we've had catching up anyway, just uh, on a podcast. So um, I'm glad you it. <laughs> and that'll do it for this episode. Thank you again to Adam Lytle from Sound Agriculture for joining us today. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And please share any feedback you have with us via LinkedIn or on our Twitter account at inner underscore plant. Thanks for listening. Thank you.